Uh, we're continuing our series of Sent. This is episode eight of series one. That means there might be a series two. There are 10 series in this. And you always know with a box set what happens towards the end. It always leaves you in episode 10. Uh, one thing more. And, and hopefully this will do the same. But each week we've been learning something more about the, the steps of the early church, about how God was calling them to be missional, to be, to be sent, to be his witnesses, to be Jesus' witnesses. And he promised the power of the Holy Spirit. That they, and last week uh, we were looking at the fact that uh, the disciples were sent dispersing the seed, sharing the good news wherever they went. And we were talking about being authentic in our own experience of what that was. Uh, and I had a really uh, challenging and, and encouraging experience in that this week, which I'll mention uh, later on. But this week, uh, we're going to move on to something else. But before we do, just to set the context, uh, again, at the beginning of an episode, you often see this previously on Scent. Uh, and what has been happening is the numbers have been growing constantly. The Lord has been adding daily the number of disciples that are being saved uh, and who are being won and being baptized. Uh, and so this has been going on and on and the numbers are counting up and up and up. Uh, and we left, uh, uh, we, we left it, um, well, well we, we actually went a wee bit forward last week, but basically just prior to this time, uh, we, we saw the numbers last recorded in chapter 4 at about 5,000. Uh, and so the time was adding on and we went through chapter 5. And now some time, it seems, has elapsed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up and we're going to read in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. So let's, uh, if you've got a Bible, please uh, turn that up now and we'll read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. This is known as the, the, the choosing of the seven. So we'll just read now uh, from verse one. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Bit of complaint going on here. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, uh, Prochorus, and so forth. <laughs> they verse 6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You can get any number of books on church development strategy. How to grow your church. These are the ways in which you can get people to come along. 
to grow your church. And there's all sorts of different theories out there that have attempted, if you like, to import what is deemed good theory into the church. Some really good stuff there. But some people struggle with a wee bit of that, and I understand why. The number of believers, according to some folk, was now somewhere in the region of the tens of thousands, maybe 20,000 plus. Large numbers were being added daily. And as things grew, they needed to get organized. Locations needed to be sorted out for baptism. Food needed to be organized for the fellowship. Distribution needed to be organized for those in need. What about the communion locations? Oh, that guy Felix, his house is too full now. We'll have to get another house. The leaders were being arrested. We need a contingency plan. Who's going to cover in absence of Peter and John? He was going to preach in that new believers group and that house group down the road. Who's going to cover for him? There's preaching that needs to be done. And every day we're told that the church went on. They continued to meet in the temple courts. They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And chapter 4 tells us from time to time, those who owned house, land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. More and more people were coming. More and more need was being identified. And so here was the pattern. The Holy Spirit was prompting the believers, the new disciples, and they were becoming passionate about doing something for God. And in love they obeyed and moved. And daily the Lord was adding to the number those who were being saved. And the apostles in the church were responding to what God was doing. They responded to what God was doing. I think there's a danger that sometimes well-meaning strategies go ahead of the Holy Spirit. We make a box for our church and then ask God to fit in it. This worked well for that church, so let's apply that strategy here. What sort of strategies can we put in place to make our church successful? It struck me that God doesn't say to us, I tell you what, guys, you go head on down there and any problems, give me a wee shout. That's sort of what you do when you're kind of getting rid of people. Give us a wee shout if you're getting diffs. That's not what God was saying because God's way is very different. In Exodus 31, the God, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light. The Lord was going before them. And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He says, follow me. You see, God's way, I really believe, right throughout scripture is, I will go before you. Isaiah 45, I will go before you, make the rough places smooth. I'll shatter the doors of bronze and cut through their iron bars. And when the Israelites rebelled, what did they say? They said to Aaron, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, that man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And so the story we're looking at this morning is about God going before 
and the leaders of the church responding to what God was doing. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. So they structured and they organized around what God was doing. They didn't go before God. I heard um, something that really challenged me this week in relation to that. And it was one of those moments that you don't plan, but just happened. I love the fact that 40 acts uh, of kindness or generosity that, we, that some of us are going through uh, in, the, in the preparation uh, up to Lent is causing me to think a wee bit beyond myself. And so I'm kind of becoming aware of potential opportunities, uh, but I don't know what they are. I was on a train on my way back from uh, Coleraine this week, at the beginning of the week, and I was sitting, uh, I got onto the train quite quickly because I wanted to get a table to get my laptop out so I could prepare my sermon. And um, a guy just wasn't as fast as me, and he came behind me, and he, and he sat opposite me, and he says, you must be a Belfast man, you're really quick. <laughs> and as I looked at him, he was quite tough looking. He had tattoos on his fists. He had a tattoo on his neck. His language was quite choice. I wouldn't be ready to just interview him on a Sunday. Let's put it that way. And he was talking to his mate. He was a guy in his late 30s. And as I listened, as I, 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 what I said to him, oh, I've a bit of work to do. That's why I needed to get the table. And uh, so as, uh, as I sort of listened um, as I was trying to work, but I tried to work and not listen. But I heard, and that's not true. Um, <laughs> um, so I heard him saying about, oh, that was a lucky break today. The barrister was really good. And it turns out he was expecting to go down. He was expecting to go to prison uh, for something that he'd done. And as he was talking to his mate, he turned to me and he says, you're not a cop, are you? <laughs> and I said, no. Or a probation officer. I says, no, I'm not. He says, what are you? I says, I'm not going to tell you. But I'll tell you what, if you guess, I'll tell you. And he guessed a few things and I said, nope, nope. And then we got talking and I closed my laptop and I thought, is this a God moment? And we got talking and it turns out he's a, ref well, he, he would call himself not a reformed alcoholic, but an alcoholic. He's been in rehab 13 times. He's been in uh, prison two or three times. He was involved a lot in the loyalist paramilitaries. And he has had a lot of help from Alcoholics Anonymous. He has got an awful lot of really clever things to say about the prison system and about suggestions. And I learned an enormous amount from him. And we talked on about faith. And I was amazed. I didn't make any inroads and go, right, okay, how do I get this for ABC in here? I just listened to him and tried to be open to God and asked him question after question. And he talked to me about Alcoholics Anonymous and about one or two Christians that he'd come across in his life that have been a tremendous influence on him. And he taught me truths, I would suggest, that I 
didn't really hear or I don't often hear. For example, he hates hypocrisy and he knows about Christ and about how he accepted the broken. And he said to me, one of the most challenging things he ever heard, and I mention this to you now because this is what he said. He said, a guy once said to him, it's time for you to move over to the co-pilot's seat and let God fly this plane. And I thought, you're so right. And I told him that. You're so right. How often do I think that God's in control, but I'm on the pilot's side? I've made the box of my life, and I say, God, uh, you know, you said give us a wee shout. He actually didn't. But I think of it that way. This guy seemed to have it sorted, that question anyway. It's time for me to move over to the co-pilot's side and let God take control. So we've looked at church strategies. We looked at God's strategy. What about the enemy's strategy? Because the enemy here was on the counterattack. He saw that the church was growing. He saw that God's power was moving. And guess what? He hasn't changed his method, so it's well worth our while having a wee look at how he acted then, because how he acted then is how he acts all the way through history and how he acts even today. So what was the enemy's strategy? Well, number one we looked at a couple of weeks ago was persecution, and that hasn't changed. A couple of weeks ago, Leith talked to us a wee bit about it, and Trevor talked a bit about us. We can see how the church is persecuted even today, not necessarily so much here at the moment, but in uh, various parts in the world. Satan uses persecution, and he did then. He also used corruption. And in a passage in Acts 5, at the beginning of Acts 5, one that we haven't covered, which is about a, a couple called Ananias and Sapphira, they tried to cover up. They, 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 they were hypocritical. They were, they were deceitful. And there was corruption was being introduced, and the devil was at work. Let's not be under any illusion there. And that was able to be rooted out identified, and something very dramatic happened there that God powerfully uh, moved in that situation. You can read about it at the beginning of Acts 5. But the third way, and the way that we're looking at this morning, is this one, distraction. You see, the numbers were out of control. The apostles weren't coping. Satan wanted to get them sucked into administration. And so there were these two groups. There was the Grecian Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, the, 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 sorry, the Hellenistic Jews were the Grecian Jews, the Hebraic Jews and the Grecian Jews. The, the Hebraic Jews were the natives of Israel. They were the ones that were living in the surrounding areas. They spoke Aramaic and they very much were steeped in the Hebrew culture. They were the in crowd. And then you had the Grecian Jews. They were the ones who were relatives of those who were exiled. They had come to Israel or they'd come to Jerusalem for Passover and they had come to faith. And there was a feeling among the Grecian Jews, these exiles, these ones who didn't feel that they were in the in crowd, that they weren't getting their fair share, especially the widows. And they were in more need because they weren't at home. And so we're told they complained or murmured, as the King James Version puts it. The Greek word gogismos, I think, uh, means this, a complaint expressed in murmuring. It's the same word that was used 
In the Old Testament, when the Israelites grumbled against Moses, and it appears that they hadn't initially at least brought the concerns to the apostles. Instead, they grumbled, they mumbled, they murmured. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And as if the apostles hadn't enough to contend with, although I think they'd got this a little bit wrong. They had the problem of murmuring. And I suspect in our church today, corruption has been a big problem. When you think of uh, in, in what hits the headlines uh, in, in, in church life, what hits the headlines in the news even. Corruption is a big issue. But I suspect the amount of man-hours that are involved in distraction because of murmuring are bigger. Persecution had the effect of purifying the body. Corruption was able to be rooted out. Distraction, well, that was much more subtle. And the bottom line was the apostles were too busy. They were doing too many things. And the concern from the Grecian widows was a valid one. But here's the thing. The apostles realized, you know what? This is what they say in verse 4. Let's realize what our role is. It's to give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It would have been so easy to have a knee-jerk response to get distracted and do something about it. We have a wee dog called Maddie. We Jack Russell. And I take her for walks sometimes. Bethel takes her for walks lots. And it's really frustrating because she spends all her time sniffing. I mean, all her time in the walk sniffing. It's wet, it's cold, I want to get back. And she sniffs and I'm going, are you going to? Are you going to? You know, get over, you know, the, the bag thing. And she just sniffs and sniffs and sniffs. And then when she comes home, she just scratches. So she sniffs and scratches. If she had hay fever, she'd be stuffed. <laughs> that is what she lives for. She sniffs all the time. And I'm trying to teach her when I come to the curb to stop. Because you have to look sometime and realize that there's much more going on than whatever odors you're on about. That's all she does. I'm trying to make sure she realizes that someday that a car's going to come along. I don't want her to miss that. I'm trying to teach her to stop at the curb and stop sniffing. As I was looking at that this week, I was challenged, not, not Maddie, this passage, as I was, I was challenged about the, the fact that I do an awful lot of sniffing and scratching. I am so, I'm so preoccupied with so many things. I was trying to get this sermon ready and there were so many things happening in terms of child protection stuff I had to get in place and this and this and this and all these things. And maybe there's a word in this for me about prioritizing God's presence to stop at the curb and listen to God on every walk. Because the devil loves distraction. He loves to keep our eyes away from God. He loves to avoid those curb moments where we stop and listen. There's busyness, but there's also what we might call weapons of mass distraction. I don't know what those are for you. Because we can fill our time with so many things, can't we? 
in our leisure time. And they're not all bad, but sometimes they're at the expense of really important things. Do I fill my life too much with stuff and then sometimes think, I'm too busy, God, I'm too busy, but maybe I haven't used my time or prioritized my time effectively. There's a danger of spending my life doing stuff without stopping. I was tidying the garage yesterday. I spent all day. It was great. I never thought I'd get to the point in my life where I would be delighted to say I spent the day <laughs> in the garage. It's really got sad, hasn't it? And I spent all day, but it took a long time because it had been a long time happening. And there was a lot of space that was being taken up by lots of stuff. And I had this wee system, and I thought, well, I'll get all organized, and I'll do this, and I'll leave that there, and I'll take that to the dump. And, and it just became to the point where I thought, oh, how do I find this one? How do I, what happened there? How do I, I'm not sure. Did you hear a noise there? Okay. I thought I was hearing things. Um, <laughs> and I, I was thinking, what am I going to do with this Mark II golf part? I got rid of that golf 12 years ago. That 60-watt bulb with a stud in it. I have so many things. A hamster cage. Our hamster died eight years ago. A padlock with no key. Some BT phone line extension cable. When we have wireless phones now. The amount of stuff had built up without me realizing it. And it was taking up so much space in the garage. And it made me wonder, is there a lot of clutter in my life that I need to get rid of? What was the apostle's response here? Well, they delegated responsibility. They reflected and responded to criticism by delegating the vital task of administration. We will turn this responsibility over to them, Acts 5, Acts 6 says. And they appointed seven godly men, people like Stephen, who became a martyr, an amazing evangelist. Philip, who was an evangelist, he was the guy that won the Ethiopian over, if you remember. And his, uh, he had four daughters who were prophetesses. Uh, another guy called Prochorus in church history tells us that he became a bishop having been, if you like, the PA to the Apostle John at one point. These were really significant, godly men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They didn't go, oh, who's good at um, rolling their sleeves up and doing that? They said, in service, we're looking for people of character. So they delegated responsibility and they prioritized prayer and the ministry of the word. They prioritized God. They included the forgotten, the Hellenistic Jews, the ones who felt forgotten. Because actually, when you look at the seven names, almost all, if not all of them, were Greek names. So they delegated the responsibility to those who were passionate about that particular issue. And they commissioned them. It says they prayed and then laid hands on them. 1 Timothy 5 says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. What was the result? Well, we saw in Acts 2, all, that, uh, all along we're seeing this, the Lord was adding to their number. And then along came the attack, persecution, corruption. Instead of addition, we're starting to see a little bit of subtraction. Then we're seeing distraction coming from Satan. What happened when the disciples put in place the correct priorities? There was multiplication. 
Acts 6 verse, 6 verse 7 in, in the King James, New King James says this, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Isn't that amazing? And you know what? If they had allowed distraction, if they had allowed more murmuring to get out of hand, what other symbol is there in mass? There would have been division. So what? If we want God's will and God's favor, let's not be personally or corporately distracted. Know that God goes before us. Let's stop at the curb every day and stop sniffing. It's a terrible analogy. Corporately, as a leadership team, and as a leadership team, uh, we want to prioritize prayer and the word of God. We want to know that when we gather to meet God, that we expect. We want to avoid the danger, as a leadership team, by the way, of being overwhelmed with volume of operational issues so that people are potentially left out, so that procedures are maybe not in place that we want them to be. And we recognize the need to be more inclusive. We've been talking a lot about that recently. Um, and we want to avoid the Hebraic Jews getting all the influence. We see passion in people in this church as the Holy Spirit is working on them. And so we want to respond to God's leading. Uh, I'm not going to say much more about that at this stage, just to say that we will be, you'll be hearing more about this. We're really keen to put in place an operational team. And remember the Holy Spirit and wisdom for the characters of the people that were appointed to that seven in, the, in, in, in Acts. So that we can turn responsibility over to them. And those people will be responsible for instilling and supporting the vision and values so that the leadership can team can do more priority in prayer and discerning in the word of God. Because we want to allow people of passion to be led by the Holy Spirit. We want worship and prayer to be connected, young people to be valued, that the whole issue of welcome and inclusion is very much part of what we're about. And so we're looking to do something about that. And we've already talked to a number of people who are involved in ministries uh, recently just, and uh, so you'll be hearing more about that and you'll hear much more about that at the AGM. So what? The apostles were sent, but they were focused. They didn't allow the enemy to distract them. They kept the main thing, the main thing. Let's as individuals not allow the devil to subtly distract us from relationship with him, from stopping and hearing and noticing God. What do you want me to do, God, in response to your leading in front of me? And let's as a church be aware of the devil's strategies and let's have no place for distraction here as we seek God's will.